Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Co's The Brief. It's your weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molises. I'm here with Carrie Aliveld. And today we are going to be talking a couple of things. We're going to be talking about Joe Biden's State of the Union address. We, we that. Uh, took place after last week's episode. And we're also going to be talking about Republican dysfunction in Congress, which is absolutely delicious and a lot of fun. And uh, uh, I don't think it's serving them well right now. So (laughs) we're going to talk about those things. Uh, We also want to talk about the Republican presidential campaign, but we may have to save that for next week because there's so much to talk about all these topics. I don't think we can cram them into a single episode, but we'll see. We'll see. So, uh, Carrie, we had Sarah Longwell on last week. Um, she is now an independent, we found out. She used to be a Republican, a never Trumper, <clears throat> and she does focus groups. And so we asked her, or me, I think you asked her, what Joe Biden needed to do to, um, to have a successful State of the Union address. Right. And her response was that it was less about message and more about proving that they're the optics of it. And then maybe you remind me exactly how she framed it, but it was sort of like, well, can he prove that he's got it? She was, she was much more blunt than that. She was like, doesn't, I mean, I can't remember exactly, but it was close to something like this. It doesn't matter a bit what he says. It's just if whether or not he looks good, <laughs> which, which honest to God, I was like, Oh my God, really? Stop. Stop. <laughs> You know, but, Democrats were like, but it's all about message, which I do think I, I do think matters a little bit. But she was like, it just there's so many poli- people believe, you know, in, in focus groups she does and in polling that he doesn't have what it takes. He doesn't you know, he's too old. He's a little bit doddering, whatever it is. And it, she was just saying, look, the only thing the only thing he that really matters tomorrow night is that he looks sharp. And here I'm here to tell you, he looked pretty damn sharp. So that's. That was good. Yeah. I mean, your headline was, uh, you know, I forget the exact headline, but you wrote it up and your headline was like, he, he like, he nailed it. Right. It was, a, yeah, it was a thing of beauty. It was a thing of beauty. I mean, you know, and so I've listened you know, obviously we're, we're a week out now. People are going to have heard a lot about the state of the union, or if we're obviously the only place that you get any of your news, which <laughs> I fully encourage, then, you know, we'll go ahead and say like that. He, you know, he, he 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 did a real economic rundown of his important wins so far that most people don't know about generating 12 million jobs in two years, more than any other president has created in four years, you know, hitting a 50 year unemployment low. He, he he touted signing more than 300 bipartisan laws, which, honest to God, I was shocked at <laughs> um, well, adding. Some of, them you know, are, some of them are post offices, to be fair. But okay. yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But, you know, I mean, he, he's making that play, yeah. adding 800. I mean, he he had he did sign some consequential bipartisan laws, in particular, the CHIPS Act and the and the uh, infrastructure law. So, you know, which yes. both of which are important and big ticket items. So. You know, manufacturing jobs, the fastest growth in 40 years, securing, uh, you know, a record 10 million applications from people to start new businesses. I mean, I think these are polling shows that people really don't know that these good things have happened. They don't even some people I mean, there was almost like in polling in navigator research which is a progressive consortium of of pollsters um there was almost an even split of like a third of people who thought 
we lost more jobs than we created last year, which absolutely isn't true. It's not even close. And a third of people who said we created more than we lost. So like they were competing and then everybody else was like, I'm not sure. So, so many people just really didn't know about that, but then he did this kind of amazing thing. And I'm, I'm not going to linger on it too long, but he, he, he backed, uh, Republicans into a corner on Social Security and Medicare because they keep talking about wanting to cut it. They, All right. It's kind Harry, of not there. Yeah. L- let me let me just interrupt you right there because I want to set the stage a little bit more because this actually there's a substance component for sure. And I know you're going to talk about that. And I want to I want to make sure that that because it's important because we're Democrats. We care about policy. But I think this is what spoke to Sarah Longwell's point more than anything. So this is where the idea of how he presented himself and did he have the vitality and sharpness um, to, to prove that he still could be president and given that he's going to run again, that's going to be critical. And also negate the right wing frame that he's an old, doddering, senile fool, you know, weakened at Bernie's, he's being propped up. I mean, these are things that Republicans say, right? So this is the moment where both policy and optics sort of like combine. And so I'll, you, you know, go ahead. Yeah. And, and to be clear, this is, this is almost surely, other than, you know, Trump per- perhaps you know, staging another insurrection is almost surely going to be the most watched political event of, of the year. Right. I think 27 million viewers um, it, in terms of a political event, it get, it gets five, by far, far more viewership than any other uh, political event of the year. So he, he essentially like backs uh, Republicans into a corner on Social Security and Medicare cuts, which they keep talking about. It's not really their official position, but top Republicans are pushing it. You know, Rick Scott, who's the we've talked about this before, who who ran the Senate campaign to retake the majority and yeah. was successful. Yeah. yeah, Florida senator, um, you know, had an 11 point plan that he he released that wanted to sunset all federal legislation every five years. That includes, very importantly, Medicare and Social Security. So if you can't get enough votes to renew it, then it just goes by the wayside. I mean, that's just frightening. And then remember how hard it is to pass something. You got the filibuster. You have all sorts of legislative shenanigans. It would be a Listen, challenge. They, uh, you want to you want to look at a piece of legislation when when Clinton passed the assault weapons ban and uh, and I think it was sunsetted in ten years, right? They passed it in 1996, I think, um, mid 90s, and then the idea was surely this will get renewed. Well, guess what? It didn't get renewed, mm-hmm. and now and now look at what we got. So, you know, I, I think about that and the inanity of that. And it was kind of like, well, we'll just, we'll, you know, instead, we'll just have a sunset provision on it. And then obviously it will get renewed. No, it did not get reviewed. And now we have renewed. And now we've got a, a you know, a, a mass shooting, usually done by a mass, you know, a, an assault weapon, um, AK-47 style or AR-15 style, like, you know, once every freaking two weeks. So anyway, um, don't get me started on that. So, yeah, so he he so he says he says the he points out that there's a lot of Republicans talking about um, social security, cutting Social Security and Medicare. He said it's some Republicans. It's not all Republicans. And then there's this like he goads them into this huge sort of, 
what? What are you talking about? Because it's so insanely unpopular. I mean, this is like critical money every month for tons of seniors across the country. Like they literally couldn't make ends meet. They might they, they don't know where they would they would actually get grocery money. They, they wouldn't get health care. I mean, it's just unbelievable to even talk about it. And and they're all feigning you know, ignorance about this. Like yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah. Marjorie yeah, Taylor Greene. You're Green a liar. Memed, memed herself. Yeah. You're <laughs> with, a liar. Oh, Cruella DeVille like puppet that. jacket. <laughs> oh, Marcos, I missed an opportunity to have like a white, you know, fuzzy thing around my neck right no, now. Anyway, then people so... would wonder how many puppies you killed and we don't want that kind of <laughs> questions. No. So no anyway, as, as, as Republicans are protesting this and, you know, saying, well, this absolutely isn't true. You know, chief among them, Rick Scott and and Mike Lee, who literally pledged like there's video of him saying in 2010 when he was running for Senate. The first thing I'm going to go after is, you know, Social Security. I mean, you know, like the, all these people, Ron Johnson, who continually calls it a Ponzi scheme this morning. This is the Tuesday know, morning. Tuesday morning, his Valentine's Day message to America was that it was a Ponzi scheme, Social Security. And obviously he, you know, he wants to like reform it. So it's not a, you know, ref- reform. Quote, 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 quote. Yeah, so, so that he doesn't want. So it's not a Ponzi scheme. But anyway, they're all protesting. And then then Biden says, OK, I mean, he's like unilaterally unilaterally disarms them by saying, Okay, okay, then it sounds like we agree. He literally quips like, no, no, really, conversion, you know, I like conversion is what he said. It's unanimous. Then, yeah, it's unanimous. <laughs> then we agree. He literally is like saying, then we agree in front of the entire 27 million audience, not to mention, you know, whatever digital viewers there were on top of that. Like, we're you then we're all not going to cut Social Security. That's off the table, right? And like, he gets them to agree verbally on the floor in front of the biggest political audience of the of the year that they are not going to cut Social Security and Medicare in order to um, and you know as leverage points to um, increase the debt ceiling. It and was it, w- policy it was wise, masterful. It was, and it wasn't again the policy stuff, the the maneuvering, but the quickness, the wit. The ability to 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 take this like mass Republican feigned outrage and just jujitsu it on their face, right, and just slam oh, yeah. them under ass. It was anybody that thinks that Joe Biden is is too slow or too sleepy or that moment right there. I'm not sure how many other politicians would have pulled that off. No, I, I don't know how. And he did it. He's always the happy warrior. He did it so well because he wasn't like, you guys suck. You know what I mean? He yeah. was like, it's just some of you. And here's how Kate. Oh, here's he was how, joyful. He was having fun. He, he, was, he was joyful. He was really enjoying it. At some point, he said, well, if you don't believe me. And he leaned in. He was on the dais and he leaned into the lectern and into the microphone. He says, anyone who doubts it can contact my office and I'll send you the plan. And of course he was talking about Rick Scott's 11 point plan. But then of course the next day or the day after that, the white house literally has a point by point of all of the people and, and Republican lawmakers and groups that have endorsed either reforms, cuts, you know, raising the age of, of eligibility, all these different things and it's a lot of them. It's not it's not just a few. I mean, it's influential people. And so so, so Carrie, he, so can I just wait, wait, let me just say he oh, refuses. Yeah, I, 
I just didn't want you to move on before. Like, let's. I want to. Oh no, no, I'm not moving on yet. Well, I am moving on in the sense that he refuses to say during the speech who to name names. Right? He doesn't name Rick Scott. He just says some Republicans. He doesn't name Mike Lee. He doesn't. He doesn't name Ron Johnson. Then the next day, he goes to Wisconsin to tout, um, you know, one of his uh, one of his economic pillars. And then he goes down to uh, Florida to talk specifically, specifically about Social Security and Medicare. And in both of those places, he goes ahead and drops. Ron Johnson wants this. And in Florida, he you know, he goes to to, um, you know, Ron Johnson was just reelected last cycle. But but Rick Scott is going to be up in 2024. And, and, you know, it goes to his his home state and says, Rick Scott has the plan. He's the one who devised the plan to get rid of Social Security. And then they're leaving, the White House is leaving these pamphlets on the seat of everybody in that venue in Florida of of Rick Scott's plan that literally like lays out, you know, we're going to cut it. Um, So, I mean, that's what Rick Scott was saying. So it was just sort of, it was masterfully done in the moment. And then there was also sort of masterful follow-up on it um, that has kept the conversation rolling for a, a solid week now. It's still being talked about. Still so, being yeah. talked about. So yeah, definitely want to want to go there because even even Mitch McConnell took some punches at Rick Scott, which was pretty freaking hilarious. I definitely want to talk about how this setup actually has has exacerbated the Republican dysfunction in Congress. But before I do that, I just my my, my sort of meta take on the State of the Union address was that traditionally, I mean, traditionally it's a boring freaking speech. Like I'm not a fan of the State of the Union address. Like it's a lot of eye rolling. It's just like, okay, this is stupid. And a lot of boring showmanship. And yeah, people watch it because it's the State of the Union address. But it never really, has, historically it's really never done anything for me. And what really struck me about this one is that, yeah, Biden was a little nervous at the beginning. You know, his stuttering sort of came out a little bit. So, but then he warmed up. And he treated this differently, I think, than most most former presidents have. Most former presidents treat it as like this really serious, uh, gravely important speech, as opposed to sort of a political speech. You know, it's a different. You know, look look at look at Prime Minister Question Time in in you know in, in the United Kingdom, right? You know, where it's just like this frolicking, jousting. And Biden went in there and treated it like like prime minister question time. Like he went in there basically to have fun. And it was a political speech for sure. I mean, (laughs) this is politics, but he wasn't overtly partisan. So he somehow managed to make it incredibly political without incredibly partisan and it made Republicans and sort of their crazy wing, which is which is incredibly incredibly um, maliciously partisan, made them look even worse. And then you have Sarah Huckabee Sanders come in, governor of Arkansas, doing the rebuttal speech, which is never a good place to be. Like, you know, I don't know why anybody wants to do that because nobody has ever looked good doing the rebuttal speech. And um, she came in talking about how crazy and, you know, the difference between Republicans and Democrats are that one party's crazy, right? And no sense of like self-awareness because like, you know, you may think that, but Americans don't think that. And she was throwing out words like CRT without explaining what it was and woke culture without explaining what it was. It was not a speech to try to win votes because that's what's happened to the Republican, you know, MAGA right. They've given up 
trying to appeal to the broader American public. Joe Biden was firmly rooted in mass appeal. It was, it was, if you're looking at, if that's a campaign he's running, it's actually really good. And generally speaking, you know, Carrie, you know this, um, Daily Coast in general, we've always bristled at bipartisan talk because it's always been sort of fake and BSE and it, it seeds ground to the Republicans when they never return that favor, right? In this case, it the way he framed it did not offend me. I mean, it was that good where like me, the partisan warrior who's like, screw bipartisanship, right? I was like, no, this is actually really freaking good. And then you contrast that with Sarah Huckabee Sanders and with Marjorie Taylor Greene and basically the whole Republican Party. And it really made Biden look like not just the adult in the room, but like the fun uncle in the room. Like, okay, yeah, I actually really do want to hang out with this guy. He's all there. He's freaking hilarious. He's sharp. He's funny. He's smart. Uh, Let me hang out with that guy. Not Marjorie Taylor Greene, please. I, I, I just I had to laugh. They were like, you know, there's this, there was this idea that they were going to put Sarah Huckabee Sanders out there because I think she's 40 years old. She's like the youngest, you know, uh, person to ever serve as Arkansas's governor or whatever. And, you know, they put her out there like she was going to appeal to young people. OK, the crazy <laughs> young people. The other people are like, let's go have a beer with Uncle Joe. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like the old guy was much more appealing to young people. Yeah, t- totally. And um, so, I mean, you know, they really did us a favor there. But let's let's just also admit, though, that the ele- electoral incentives have changed around never giving an inch to Republicans, never talking about bipartisanship. I just want to be clear that we are we are sort of living in a new dynamic. For a long time, it was it's only about the base. It's only about turning out the base. And now what we're finding is that this like, you know, we found this in 2020 and we found it again in 2022. There is this like I don't know, 3%, maybe 5% sliver of people who are actually sort of swing voters. They might even lean conservative, but they don't want to vote for the, you know, the anti-MAGA majority. And in order to win the anti-MAGA majority, the pro-democratic anti-MAGA majority, I do think there have to be some um, you know, there have to be some sort of uh, nods to bipartisanship. I also want to be clear, Democrats are winning on all the social issues, abortion, you know, uh, uh, even even, you know, uh, gun safety, which is more controversial, but winning winning majorities on that. They're winning, um, you know, they're they're winning on LGBTQ issues. They're basically winning on all the social issues. So in order to be bipartisan anymore, you don't have to give up on the social issues that like Clinton gave gave way to. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, When he was president, it doesn't mean that you have to soft paddle these, you know, supposedly divisive social issues. They're not divisive anymore. They are pro-democratic, these social issues. So so where you're looking to forge bipartisanship is really on the points of we're not crazy. We're not going to blow up the economy and BT dubs. We are better on the economy than Republicans are. And I, I want to say, say a point about that because I have heard some criticism of Biden's speech. There wasn't, you know, I, I can't remember the exact amount of time, but he didn't spend more than like a minute on abortion. Um, you know, he I, there was a few things that, you know, he he said very he said, I think he gave one nod to sort of LGBTQ trans issues. Um some, I think some uh, progressives wanted him to spend more time on this. And I just want to mm-hmm. say, 
he ran he and Democrats ran very hard on that in the midterms. I am certain they will run hard on it again, at least on abortion for sure. And they should be running on trans issues, too, because let me just tell you, starting with governor, former uh, Republican governor Pat McCrory in North Carolina, if you're supporting the bathroom bills, the anti-trans bathroom bills and all of that stuff, it's a loser every year for Republicans when they go after that crap in the general election. So but anyway, the 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 um, oh, I got off on a tangent. Um, they will run on that. They will run on the social issues uh, when we get cl- as time moves on. I think what the White House was trying to do was early on start to course correct something that has gone on for decades, which is this unwarranted perception, this false perception that Republicans are better on the economy. I think they devoted the bulk of their speech to making sure that no one who sort of, you know, because the people who are tuning in, Republicans aren't tuning in. It's, 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 you know, Democratic curious, Democratic leaning and, you know, hardcore Democrats who are, who are watching this speech end to end. And they need to be reminded and they need to be told and they need to be, you know, have the courage of their convictions about the fact that Democrats are really better for the economy. What what Joe Biden and his administration have managed to do for the economy, along with the Democratic Congress, uh, when we were in control, is is boost this economy better than any other any in uh, economy in the world right now post pandemic. Um, so that I think that's why they devoted so much time to that and didn't spend a lot of time on the social issues. I don't think they're running away from them, particularly abortion. They will they will get back into that. They just are trying to set the record straight on probably the biggest issue if we want to win swing and independent voters in 2024. Yeah, no, the issue, I mean, there's no need to talk about the thing everybody knows we stand for already. Like everybody knows the Democrats are for, you know, uh, equality, whether it's gender, sex, equality, that we're, you know, for full access to abortion rights. Like, it wasn't that the focus, you're right. The focus was these are the things that people don't really get about us or refuse to get about us. And uh, one of the reasons that we aren't doing better electorally because people still think that Republicans are better on, on the economy. I mean, that's a weird, like Wall Street is better for the economy than than the prescriptions that Democrats have, even though just historically look at the data, the economy always does better under Democrats, always Always, always, always. So, always. so one of the things that really struck me, though, it's uh, it's been a week now, Carrie, and they're still like stepping in on Social Security. Like it was so damaging that they keep needing to rehash it and bring it up again to try to keep saying no, no, no. That tells me that it struck blood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you I, I almost wish that we had that. CNN, it's much too long, but that CNN clip of Rick Scott going on and debating this CNN anchor, who's a reporter too, I think it was Caitlin Collins, um, about about whether or not he actually was wanted to, to, you know, to cut Social Security. And he brought, he was trying to get her in a gotcha moment saying, well, Jake Tapper says something differently than you say. And I'm like, 
what are you doing? He's like, he's like, I don't even know how he became governor of, of Florida. He is just, he is the worst. He's the but worst like, messenger. He is, he was, he kept on saying, but Jake Tapper said, but Jake Tapper said, and I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah. Caitlin's like, Rick, Jake Tapper never said that. <laughs> Rick, I know. And, and, and Caitlin Collins finally had to say something along the lines of, you know, basically, I don't care what Jake Tapper said. I'm having an interview with you right now. And what I'm telling you is, is that cutting the cost of costs of benefits for Social Security, which is what Democrats have done, is very different. I mean, she didn't say that, but I'm saying that is very is what Democrats have done is very different from cutting benefits. Right. Yeah. Cutting the costs of benefits is actually a cost savings, not necessarily a cut in benefits. Yeah, I mean, what Democrats did, just really quickly, because it, it actually matters and it shows that Democrats do shit, is that they, they instead of letting Big Pharma basically gouge Medicare by charging too much for drugs, capped what they would charge, what they would pay for those drugs. So, yeah, less money is being spent, but that's not a cut in Medicare and Medicaid. That is a cut in the profits of Big Pharma that was gouging the American taxpayer. Those are good things, but in the Republicans' mind, apparently... Cutting benefits is good. Cutting big pharma's profits off the American taxpayer is bad. And this is right. what, and what, what they and what they want to say is if the federal government is spending less money on it, then it's a cut to benefits. It's actually an increase in benefits because of the cost savings, just to be clear. And Republicans are going to try to go down that avenue. But then you have so you have Rick Scott with this disastrous interview on CNN. Then then that I mean, then, you know, I mean. Like I said, Ron Johnson just can't talk, keep talking, can't quit talking about it being a Ponzi scheme. But you had this beautiful moment where where Biden goes down to um, to Florida to to talk about Social Security and Medicare. He totally dings uh, uh, Rick Scott on this. He says the very idea that the senator from Florida wants to put Social Security and Medicare on the chopping block every five years, I find to be somewhat out outrageous so outrageous that you might not even believe it that's what biden says well then mitch mcconnell who obviously is republican (laughs) republican right republican and you know he and he and rick scott there's no love lost between them they've been trading barbs right for for a long time and rick scott challenged him as a minority leader and and lost pretty handily i think like you know 10 votes to like 40 or something um but he's but but Mitch McConnell has got to want that seat, right? Because he wants to take the majority back in 2024, and he says, um, he says, uh, I think it, he he just muses, he sort of uh, ponders what this might be mean for uh, for Rick Scott's reelection. I think it will be a challenge for him to deal with this in his own reelection in Florida. McConnell says, a state with more elderly people than any other state in America. I mean. That is Mitch McConnell actually just like shivving Rick Scott in his reelection campaign. And it, it, what is crazy about it is I just want you to imagine for a second that majority leader Chuck Schumer would, you know, ponder whether or not one of John Tester's, uh, you know, Democratic senator in a in a in a state that's going to be tough for him to win reelection. I, can you imagine Chuck Schumer saying like something like, I don't know if Tester's, you know, view on that is going to go over well with his own voters in Montana. I mean, I just can't imagine that. Right. You can't imagine that Chuck Schumer would shiv his own 
you know, his own de- senator. And that's exactly what uh, McConnell did. Yeah, and it's even, you know, it's it's so bad. It's literally, he needs that seat. He needs that seat, absolutely, to get the majority. And he just undermined it. He happily undermined it. He just didn't give enough. And it's particularly noteworthy because it's a bleak map for the, for the Democrats. Like, we don't have any real pickup opportunities. Our two best pickup opportunities are Florida with Rick Scott and Ted Cruz in Texas. And those are not great pickup opportunities. So for him to undermine one of our like very few chances at anything in a state that is trending away from the Democrats is, uh, is absolutely, I don't know. It's hysterical. It's funny. It's, it's, I mean, it was like, it was the best. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I thought I read it wrong. When yeah. I first read it. Yeah. No, the that. more, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, wow, that is really something right there. But, you know, this is just the the amount of I mean, McConnell's got a lot to say. McConnell's also trying to manage his counterparts in the in the House. Right. Yeah. And he has been saying things like, you know, he's been trying to sort of insulate his caucus um, from his own Senate caucus from what the House is doing, because. He knows that Kevin McCarthy has like zero power there and he's not going to say that publicly, but he's he, he knows that Kevin McCarthy and, and Kevin McCarthy just really isn't the sharpest tool in the shed. Right. So, he, you know, he, in order to win that, he gave away win the seat or the, the speakership. He gave away all his power. And and, you know, Mitch McConnell is on the one hand trying to get House Republicans to see the light on not blowing up the economy on the debt ceiling. I mean, just today, Mitch McConnell uh, was I'm just see if I can find this. Um, Mitch McConnell, this is Mitch McConnell talking about, you know, McCarthy. And he's kind of like trying to send orders to McCarthy through the press, you know, like over the transom. Someone asked him about McCarthy and McConnell says, well, I wish him well, but I think the American people need to know there's not going to be a default, not going to be a default. He reads it twice. I mean, it's kind of like, listen up, McCarthy. I'm just telling you, there's not going to be a default. And of course, you know, now McCarthy's going to be in a bad place because Joe Biden got him to, you know, got the Republicans to, uh, you know, pledge basically publicly that they weren't going to cut Social Security and Medicare. Um, those are exactly the cuts that uh, McCarthy and the the uh, sort of maniacs in the House GOP, they wanted to use not really raising the debt ceiling as a leverage point in order to get those cuts. So he's, you know, now there's going to yeah, be and a they're not going to touch. They're not going to touch the fence. They're not going to. They're not the going to touch the fence. And if you don't touch the Pentagon's budget, which is eight hundred plus billion dollars, almost a trillion dollar, you know, annual um, defense budget, you don't touch that. You don't touch Medicare, uh, Medicaid, and Social Security. There's not a lot left at that point, and you're not going to balance the deficit by cutting. You really want to balance that deficit. You get rid of the tax cuts for the for the you know millionaires and billionaires. You do things to raise revenue. You do not cut your way there's not that much to cut just the math isn't there let's just it's just brutal math and so joe biden today again valentine's day tuesday he's like you know what instead of threatening each other why don't we just lay our budgets out knowing darn well that there's no math that'll work right so it's just saying like show me your math and instead of this rhetoric which is all we've heard so far from the from the nihilist freedom caucus 
And McC McCarthy can't come up with a budget that's no. going to work. There's no way. They, he can't even get those the, his Republican caucus to agree on one. So what they want to do is get the White House to put out a budget and then just and then they're just going to, you know, poke holes in it. Oh, well, we should cut here and we should cut there and we should, you know what I mean? Just like and, and then they'll just down it and blame it on the White House. Right. But but, you know, Biden is is challenging them. OK, well, if you want cuts, let's not talk about the debt ceiling. That's that's off the table. We're just you know, we're going to raise the debt ceiling. Let's talk. You show me what your budget is and then we'll talk about it. Um, and McConnell wanna, is Biden's ally. Yes. <laughs> and McConnell is part. Biden's ally. Honest to God, I don't know what is happening. But <laughs> twice in the past week, McConnell, McConnell and and uh, and Biden tag team to go after Rick Scott. And now yes. McConnell and Biden are tag teaming <laughs> to try to save the, the global community from the economic meltdown that House Republicans are, you know, have been have been, you know, jonesing for. So it's 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 a it's bizarro world. It's, you know, I weird. mean, think about the McConnell was the guy in 2010 after the midterms who or before the midterms in 2009 excuse me mcconnell was the guy after uh, president barack obama's you know election winning the presidency who took his caucus into a room behind closed doors and said we're not going to do anything with this president we're going to make him a one-term president now he didn't succeed at that but he did he did succeed in gumming up the works and thing after thing after thing um, he did deny him a Supreme Court seat. He did uh, he did shoot down, you know, a uh, piece of legislation after piece of legislation. He didn't give an inch on the health care bill on the ACA, um, the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. And so Democrats ended up having to pass it, you know, just by the hair of their chinny chin chin with all Democratic votes. Um, so not a single Republican took part of that. This is this is who Mitch McConnell fashioned this whole idea of we're not going to work with the Repo with the Democrats on anything. And now, you know, we were talking earlier, you and I, about how there's different electoral incentives now. And McConnell realizes that, too. There's dis different electoral incentives. The Republican Party can no longer when tough races in in battleground states statewide, right? I'm not saying they can't win districts, but they can't win tough races in battleground states and in, in, in statewide races if they don't get some of the suburban vote back that has moved towards Democrats because Republicans are acting so crazy. He gets that. And so now he is much more, he, you know, he, first of all, he's the least like uh, even more than Kirsten Cinema. He is the least like uh, um, politician in America. Democrat Democrats hate him. Republicans do not like him. The MAGA base thinks he's a traitor. Okay, he nobody likes him, but he knows that the only way that he that his people can win any contested races is for them to have. Um, is for them to not appear as crazy as the House Republicans are. It's, it really shows. I mean, ultimately, I think that's just a sign of just how off the rails the Republican Party really is, where even McConnell, who was the devil and who created much of the dysfunction, and like you said, the culture of, of uh, non-bipartisanship, like unipartisanship, 
that even he's saying like, you know, I, I don't want any more. I don't want a part of this. And this is destroying our country and we can't go down this route. So things have changed. The climate has changed. Democrats are on the attack. They're having, they seem to be having fun, which is, I think really reflected in, 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 well, in people's reaction bold. to it. They're yeah. bold. They, you know, I mean, Democrats have the sense that they have the upper hand now and they should listen. All of our, all of our readers are constantly like, we can't get too confident. Okay. Well, Democrats haven't been too confident in, uh, I don't know, <laughs> ever, since ever. we were born. FDR, since we were born, FDR. Right? I'm sure I, I, FDR. Yeah. FDR, <laughs> FDR had swagger, <laughs> you know, but like, but, but but since then, since FDR, we we haven't really had a lot of swagger. It's like ninety then. years, a little rough ninety yeah. years. You know, we we've been missing some swagger. Anyway, now that we got 80, 80 year old Joe Biden uh, in the in the White House, we've got swagger back. No, but for reals, I I do think I, I am not worried about us getting overconfident. Okay, I'm worried about us having been underconfident for the past you know uh, two decades. And and, you know, there's this this constant thing of, oh, well, Democrats are terrible at messaging. Well, you know what? Democrats keep winning the presidency. Democrats keep winning the the popular vote for, I don't know, six of the last seven uh, presidential elections or something like that. Democrats have, you know, if you go back and I I should have these actual figures and I don't totally have them in the head. But but, you know, a point that Simon Rosenberg uh, keeps making is if you look at at at, um, the battleground states of, uh, you know, uh, Arizona, Nevada, um, I'm trying to think, uh, 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 Georgia, um, I'm trying a couple others, but like. It's Republicans had all of the uh, uh, all of the senators senators in those states like I don't know 10 15 years ago. And now I mean sorry Republicans did. Republicans did. Yeah yeah. And now Democrats have them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we we are we are winning. It there there is danger here, right? There's danger in this anti-democratic, nihilistic, fascist uh Republican Party that it really has gone off the rails. But Democrats did a great job of messaging in 2020. They did a great job of messaging in 2022 and slowly but surely are doing a good job of clawing back. We are doing a good job of clawing back the the country and uh, enough so that we're winning people who people are voting for us who actually don't particularly want to vote for Democrats. They would much rather vote for Republicans. Yeah. Um, they're voting for us because they just can't vote for Republicans. And frankly, we're good enough for them. And that's good enough for me. <laughs> I don't need yeah. everybody to love us. Uh, but but Democrats have the upper hand here electorally. And McConnell knows it. And that's why you can see it in McConnell's posture, even though he has a hell of a map working for him next year. Yeah. Um, and so- and there. Yeah. So and a, and a lot of Republicans know it, too. And that's why they let me just say one last thing are desperately trying to figure out how to doom uh, and prevent Donald Trump from getting the uh, from. Yeah, from get from right from getting the nomination. And they supposedly have a plan. But I got to tell you, I read a whole piece. Harry, on. We'll save that for next week. OK, all right. we, we are out of time for this week. We'll save that. We'll have we're going to have a whole conversation because it does. It actually fits into this conversation as well. What happens when you have a nihilist caucus running the House, uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate trying to bring back some sanity and governance, 
and a Republican presidential primary that will reward even higher levels of cruelty. And you're seeing this with DeSantis and Trump really trying to outdo each other and just how horribly cruel they can be. And so this is all going to really undermine McConnell's continued efforts, I, I think. So this is that conversation for next week because it's a whole episode worth of, of materials. So, Carrie, thank you so it much is, for. It is. I, I, we, I, I am going to slip this in. Slip they, in. There are Republicans trying to doom Trump. They have no plan. Just to be clear, they have no way to do it. Well, we'll see next week if they've come up with a plan. <laughs> but no. right now, right now, it's hope that it's DeSantis is the plan, I think. Yeah, so yes, you so, exactly. Thank you so very much, Gary. Thanks to Walter for producing. Thanks, everybody, who helps out behind the scenes to make the show happen. Kara, Paul, and Dorothy. And thank you, the viewer, listener, reader, for being part of the Daily Coast community in whatever way you do and fighting for our democracy because this is a never-ending fight. And we have a lot of work to do, but we're doing it. We are slowly, we are, Carrie, we're, we're kind of winning. And we're, we're, we, we don't want to get overconfident. We don't want to assume anything. We know that it takes a lot of work, but we're doing it. And this is pretty exciting. It's motivating. I like it better than losing. So let's keep doing more of this winning stuff. <laughs> Thank you all so very much for joining us. Really appreciate and love you all. See you next week.